Well, let us return to Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 2 is where we are. It was not just for the Christmas season. We are continuing through the gospel of Luke. I don't think we'll get to chapter 24 by Easter, uh, but we will continue the journey as we travel together through Luke's gospel. We find ourselves in verses 21 through 40 this morning. Thank you for the wonderful feedback you've given on the uh, scripture journals. I'm grateful that you're using them and finding them helpful in your personal study as well as our study together. The title of the message this morning, and I'm very reluctant to even share it with you, but it is the emphasis of our text. It is parenting Jesus. Parenting Jesus, I almost titled it, How to Parent the Perfect Child. But since there's only one who has ever been perfect, then I don't know that that would be very useful to us. But I do think we can learn some things this morning as we look at Joseph and Mary and how they parented Jesus. Luke chapter 2 verse 21 And the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they, that is Mary and Joseph, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. 
Well, a question that Kathleen and I often get these days, something that we never dreamed early in our marriage that we would get, is what's it like to have four children? Well, I want to give you a picture this morning of what it's like to have four children. Imagine you're drowning. And while you're drowning, trying to keep your own head above water, somebody hands you four children. That's what it's like to have four kids. It's amazing how much we think we know about parenting before we actually become parents, isn't it? I know Kathleen and I often laugh at ourselves thinking about the things we did and didn't do when our oldest, Kate, first arrived. Like being very, very careful when we were at church about who picked her up and knowing where she was. I remember first Sunday here, I think we were meeting back in the back of the fellowship hall because of the expansion of this building. We decided that morning we were going to keep our two-week-old daughter strapped inside the uh, baby seat uh, in case anybody wanted to randomly pick her up and spread germs to her. You know, we were really good, cautious parents. Uh, Keegan comes along, and we unstrap the car seat. <laughs> Ellie comes along, and we bring her in without the car seat, handing her to whoever wants to pick her up. Jaden, we have not a clue where he is at this moment. <laughs> it's amazing how much that changed. You think, before I have kids, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm never going to do that. Or when the first one comes around, we do all this weird stuff, and people look at us weird because we're doing all this weird stuff. And then when more are added, it's like, what kid? I, didn't, I forgot I had a kid. It's very much like the guy who said, before I got married, I had zero children. And six parenting theories. But now I have six children and zero parenting theories. And why is that the case? Because parenting is hard work. You ever seen that show, Dirty Jobs? It comes on History Channel, Discovery Channel, hosted by Mike Rowe, or one of my recent personal favorites, Tough as Nails hosted by Phil Kogan. Uh, listen, it is of my opinion that parents should be frequent guests on those shows. For without a doubt, parenting is a dirty job and a tough-as-nails experience. But I want you to wonder with me this morning. Let's not think about us for a second. What was it like to be the parents of Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? What was it like to be the earthly parents of Jesus Christ? Now, we might be tempted to think that it had to be a pretty easy job, knowing that Jesus was the perfect child. But let's not forget that Joseph and Mary did not share in that same perfection. Because of their own sinful natures, they were imperfectly parenting the perfect child. That'll give you a headache to think about after a while. They were imperfectly parenting the perfect child. 
Now, before I go any further, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. None of us can raise a perfect child. None of us can. There was only one perfect child, the Lord Jesus Christ. There will never be another. We spent the week this week with my wife's parents as we do every year after Christmas and at one point I walked into the kitchen and I saw grandma holding Jaden and she said in that eloquent grandma voice, isn't he just the perfect child? Well, that's grandma talk. That's not reality. That's why we never listen to what our grandmas and nanas say because they don't see truth. They don't see reality. She gets him once a week. We live with him the rest of the year. We know he's not a perfect child. She knows he's not a perfect child. But sometimes the way that we behave, the way that we parent, the way that we act, we kind of get that out of order, don't we? I would go as far as to say it's a mixture of both pride and ignorance to suggest that you can be a perfect parent. And that your children can be perfect kids. It's not possible. You're a sinner. They're a sinner. And every day as sinners, we experience failures. They experience failures as being children. We experience failures as being parents. So that means in every single home in this room, in every single home in the world, there are both imperfect parents as well as imperfect children. So our hope this morning should not be in becoming perfect parents or developing perfect children. No, our hope is in the perfection of Jesus Christ who covers the imperfections of all our parental failures. So I'm not striving to be a perfect parent. No, I'm hoping in Jesus Christ who is the perfect one to cover all of my imperfections as I give my best shot at this parenting responsibility. So as failing parents who have faulty children, we look not to ourselves, we look not to our children to find hope, we can only look to one place, and that is Jesus. He is our Savior, He saves us from all sins, including parental sins. And it is in his gospel. It is from his gospel that we find both the power and the pathway to becoming families that look like Jesus. Becoming families that radiate his glory. Isn't that what you want? A family that looks like Jesus. A family that looks to Jesus. A family that radiates the glory of Jesus Christ. Now in parenting, we we need to have the right aim, the right goal. And I think we're given that here in chapter 2 as we see the family dynamic of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Skip ahead to verse 40. Verse 40 says, And the child grew, speaking of Jesus, The child grew, he matured, in an earthly sense. That that means just like your children develop things, Jesus developed things. He learned how to walk. He learned how to talk. He learned how to cut his fingernails. He learned how to tie his shoes. He, He grew, he matured. 
He became strong, filled with wisdom. The favor of God was upon him. Skip ahead to verse 52. We're not going to come to that till next week, but let me at least bring it to our attention this morning. Verse 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? I don't think a Christian parent in this room would dream anything less for their children than for that to be said of them. Three, three things are summarized here. He matured as a human being. He was filled with wisdom. And number three, God's gracious favor was on his life. I don't think any of us as parents would want anything less than that. Oh, I want my four children to mature as a human being. I want them to live their lives filled with wisdom. And I desire for God's gracious favor to be on their life. I think it's a good goal, a good aim. And I think it's worth our time to see this week as long as next as well as next week the themes that Luke emphasizes about Joseph and Mary, specifically how they parented Jesus. Remember, we're asking the question, what was it like to be the parents of Jesus? And by asking this question, we're answering for our own benefit just how it is that we can look to Jesus in hope, and for help to lead our own families to look to Jesus as well as to look like him. So again, the question, what was it like to be the parents of Jesus? We're going to cover this in two parts. Today is part one. I'm giving you two points. Here's the first one. What was it like to be the parents of Jesus? Number one, ordinary, everyday obedience to God's word. Ordinary, Everyday obedience to God's word. At verse 21, we, we enter into the post-Christmas events. A week has gone by since Mary gave birth to Jesus. Everything must have been replaying in her mind what she had just experienced. The unpleasant and forced journey to Bethlehem, giving birth outside in the cold air, surrounded by a dirty environment. Laying her baby in a feeding trough of all places, meeting and hearing the experience of the shepherds. Every day, her and Joseph, throughout all hours of the day, they had to replay everything over and over again, all that they experienced. You see, most of us visit the events of the manger only once a year. But Joseph and Mary lived their entire lives unfolding the mystery of the incarnation of God. Unfolding the mystery of all that had happened to him. And one thing has been absolutely certain since we met this couple in Luke chapter 1. They were faithfully obedient to God's word. In fact, we didn't get much detail by Luke's account of Joseph, but Matthew gives us some detail. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 24 tells us that Gabriel appeared to, to Joseph as well and gave the same message as he did to Mary. And here's what Here's what the Bible says, Joseph did, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So before Jesus' arrival, he, he's obedient, he's faithfully obedient to the messages of God. And then we see it here in Luke's gospel, chapter 1 and verse 38, after Mary has given the vision, the message from the angel, she says, let it be to me, I will obey, let it be to me according to your Word. These were very obedient people. 
ordinary, everyday obedience. Before Jesus came into their lives, and of course that did not change after Jesus arrived. They remained faithfully obedient to God's word. Look at it in our text. Verse 21, Luke's trying to give us some emphasis here. Look at how many times he mentions this. The first one is not as as clear as the rest, but kind of look at it there in verse 21. He says, at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised. Now, I underline when he was circumcised. Luke's account is very brief about the details of the circumcision, and I'm going to be very brief about the details of the circumcision. But he at least brings it to our attention. And I think he brings it to our attention because Jesus' circumcision was in direct obedience to Genesis chapter 17 where God commanded all male Israelites to be circumcised. So when it says in verse 21 that Jesus went to be circumcised, Mary and Joseph led him to be circumcised, they're saying they're obedient to the word. God had commanded all male Israelites as a sign that they belong to God as their people to, 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 to perform this physical act. And they did so with Jesus. They, they were obedient. They were obedient. Everyday, ordinary obedience. Again in verse 21, it says that during that time, he was called Jesus. The name, notice this, given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Again, the emphasis on the name given by the angel. Not the name that Joseph wanted, not the name Mary wanted, not the family name passed down. No, no, no. This is is about obedience. Joseph and Mary followed the message of God obediently. God said, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. And guess what? Just in the case of Zachariah and Elizabeth with John, Joseph and Mary find the same level of obedience here. No, his name shall be called Jesus. His name shall be called Jesus. They're obedient. They're obedient. Verse 22, look at it. The time came for their purification. Look at this line. According to the law of Moses. According to the law of Moses. This is a connection to Leviticus chapter 12. And here's what the law said. When when a woman gave birth, she was considered unclean for seven days. And then she had to come to the temple to offer a sacrifice of worship after 33 days to complete her purification. It was a part of the, the ritual of the law. And again, verse 22 of Luke chapter 2 emphasizes the fact that they obeyed this law. Even the details of Joseph and Mary's sacrifice that we will look at in just a moment is recorded in verse 24 as being offered according to what was said in the law of the Lord. You see what they're doing? They're doing everything according to the word of God. They're circumcising him. Why? Because that's what the word said to do. They're calling him Jesus. Why? Because that's what God said to do. They're going to the temple to offer sacrifices for her purification. Why? Because that's what the word said to do. Verse 22 and 23, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just like we did this morning with the Pekulik family. They bring him to Jerusalem, to the temple, to present him to the Lord. Notice this in verse 22, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Of course, that's a fulfillment of Exodus chapter 13, where the children were commanded to be presented to the Lord as an act of worship. It reminds us of what we experience today in Hannah's presentation of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 1. The whole ceremonial presentation is to remind us as parents that our children do not ultimately belong to us. They belong to God. So again, again, Joseph and Mary are doing all of this in obedience to God's 
word. Verse 27 reiterates it. Look at it. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And then we see it in grand summary. Go, go, go forward to verse 39. We get a summary of the first month of Jesus' earthly life from the parental perspective. And here's what verse 39 says. And when they, Mary and Joseph, mom and dad, had performed, what's that next word? Everything. Everything. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned home to Galilee. Friend, everything. This is what we call dedication. This is faithfulness. This is commitment. Joseph and Mary were godly people who were wholly given to the ordinary, everyday obedience to God's Word. Now, I don't want to belabor this. And there are a whole list of things we could talk about. But at the very least, let me ask you this morning, how can we expect our children to look to Jesus and like Jesus if ordinary, everyday obedience to God's word is not a priority in our home? Mary and Joseph put the word of God as the supreme preeminent, dominant authority of their life. Why would we expect something different in our own children if God's word is secondary? Or maybe even in some cases, a whole lot further down the list. I want to show you something. Hold your place there at Luke chapter 2. Skip forward maybe one page or two pages to Luke chapter 4. We're going to come to it in six months. But just hold your finger there. And let me just show you. I promise it won't be that long. More like five. Uh, But when we get there, you'll see this. Look at it. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus is an adult now. Okay? Young man. We're getting ready to see insight into his ministry. Luke 4, 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Now notice this, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. All right? It's the Lord's Day, Sabbath day. Jesus goes into the synagogue as he regularly does, as his custom was. It's the Sabbath day, we're going to church. It's the Sabbath day, we're going into the synagogue because that's what we do on the Sabbath day. Now let me ask you a question. How do you think this became his custom? Because as a child back in Luke chapter 2, His mom and dad led their family to do everything according to the custom of the Word of God, which included going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He was raised to obey God's Word. He was raised to go to the Sabbath, to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Friends, I'm just telling you this morning that we have an example in Joseph and Mary. 
hopeful parenting begins with ordinary, ordinary, everyday obedience to God's word. There's nothing extravagant about Mary and Joseph. Nothing extravagant. Ordinary people who simply made the word of God their life. They took it seriously. They put it ahead of everything else. And that's how Joseph and Mary parented Jesus. So remember, we're asking the question, what was it like to be the parents of Jesus? And the first thing is just ordinary, everyday obedience to God's word. So, so par- parents, you, you may be thinking this morning, well, I have no Jesus in my home. We know. We know. And, and while you may be pulling your hair out this morning trying to figure out all the ins and outs of what this thing called parenting is supposed to look like and be like, we cannot go any further until we start here. Ordinary, everyday obedience to God's Word. And that's not just what I expect out of my kids. That's what I commit to myself. It's everyday, ordinary obedience for Jonathan. It's everyday, ordinary obedience for Kathleen. And then as we are committing our lives to everyday, ordinary obedience, we pray by the mercy and grace of God that they will catch on Along the way. Everyday ordinary obedience. Just getting up every day of your life and doing what you know you're supposed to do. Well, there's a second thing that I think we need to emphasize. Again, there's only two points. Happy New Year's to you. We'll get to the third one next week. Um, The second point is this. What is it like to be the parents of Jesus? Well, Moment by moment, trusting God's plan. Moment by moment, trusting God's plan. Moment by moment, trusting God's plan. Now, this is the essence of the Christian life, isn't it? All right, let's take parenting out of it for a moment. The essence of the Christian life is moment by moment, trusting Jesus. You may be here this morning, you're trying to figure out what is Christianity about? I got to do all this stuff, do all that. Let me tell you what Christianity is. It's moment by moment of your life trusting Jesus. That's what it is. Trusting Jesus to do what I cannot do. Trusting Jesus to be who I cannot be. Trusting Jesus to save me, to forgive me, to guide me, to lead me because I cannot do those things on my own. It's faith in Christ alone. But that's not the only time we exercise faith. As Christians, every day is a life of faith. We got up this morning by faith. We drove here by faith. We're worshiping by faith. This is the essence of the Christian life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. Romans chapter 1 verse 17, those who are righteous, those who are just, they live by what? Faith. Not by what they see, not by what they can hold, not by what makes sense to them, not by what is always explained to them. No, no, no. No, those who are truly righteous, they, that is, they have the righteousness of God in their lives. They're living their lives moment by moment, trusting God's plan. So I want to give you three things here, three things that we see revealed in Joseph and Mary's life. Number one, now, now, now watch this. 
Joseph, Joseph and Mary trusted God with what they had been given. All right? They trusted God with what they had been given. Look, look to verse 24. Because here we are given another insight to the socioeconomic life that Jesus may have grown up in. That was just a couple of weeks ago in Luke chapter 1. We already noted that Joseph and Mary were from a very poor town. They grew up as uneducated people. To the rest of Israel, they were a pain in the neck. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth insignificant, that they were nobodies from a nothing town. That's how we're introduced to Joseph and Mary. Now we see it affirmed when Joseph and Mary go to Jerusalem for her purification. Remember, a sacrifice of worship had to be offered on this account. And what does Luke chapter 2 verse 24 say that they sacrificed? Not a lamb, not a lamb, but a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now that's significant to understanding the context in which they lived. And we discover this in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 8 when it talks about the law of mom, dad, going for the purification and what they had to sacrifice. Here's what Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 8 says. If she cannot afford a lamb... Then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. All right? That's the law. Sacrifice a lamb. That's what we want, God says. But if you cannot afford a lamb, I've made other provisions for this requirement to be made. Two turtle doves. Pigeons. Okay? So, what are we learning We are learning here that Mary and Joseph's offering was a humble offering that declared their poverty. What's the point of all this? The point of all this, listen carefully, is that Jesus grew up in a poor home. He grew up in a modest family. I'm not sure Jesus would have had 20 different gifts under the tree at Christmas. They were poor. But what do we see Joseph and Mary doing? Trusting God with what they had been given. They didn't have luxury to offer the king of kings. This puzzles some of us. I mean, God chooses to come into the world, and of all the families he could have lived in, of all the houses he could have chosen to grow up in with all the luxuries and conveniences and cars and technology, of all the hospitals that he could have chosen to be born, I mean, look, this is God. He can do whatever he wants to do. This is what he chooses. He chooses a stable. He chooses a cold, wintry night. He chooses poor people from insignificant towns. He says, you know what? I'm going to grow up in a modest family. The king of kings did not grow up with earthly luxury. All Mary and Joseph could offer their baby boy was love 
love for their child, obedience to God's word, and faith that God would take care of them. Because although they had very little, they knew that this baby was God's plan for them. And if this baby was God's plan for them, then he would take care of them even in their impoverished condition. They didn't have much. They didn't have much, mom and dad. But they glorified and trusted God with what they did have. And so much of raising a family is about trusting God with what we have been given by him, not what we hope to get from him. I think sometimes as parents, we can stretch ourselves in unhealthy ways. Are you with me? We stretch ourselves in unhealthy ways, thinking that we must provide certain opportunities for our children to make it in life. We got to buy certain gifts for them to be happy. We got to do certain things. We, We run ourselves ragged. Going from here, going from there. Our our marriage is not on. Life is not really happy. Our faithfulness to church is inconsistent because we feel like in order for our family to have what they need to succeed in life, we got to do all kinds of stuff. And sadly, too often, we sacrifice obedience to God. We sacrifice faithfulness to God's house. We sacrifice healthy marriages in order to achieve this for our children. I know you know this, mom and dad, and I need you to tell me this from time to time. But let us just all look at each other and say it together this morning. We don't have to have what others have in order to give our children what God has ordained for them. We can trust our kids with what God has already given us. And if he gives more, to God be the glory. But let's not destroy our marriage and our homes and our careers and our life because we think they need this in order to be happy. Don't look past the details. Mary and Joseph were not striving to live like the Jerusalemites. They trusted God. Being from Nazareth, having what they had. Maybe Joseph thought, you know what, I don't have, I don't have a great business to pass down to Jesus, but I can certainly teach him how to how to construct a home. That's what Joseph was. We look at him as a carpenter. You detail a little bit further. We learned this when we go to Israel. We, we, we learned that Joseph was, was, was a construction guy. He built houses. And he taught Jesus with what had been given to him. I must move on, but it's something we have to consider in our lives. Are we stretching ourselves too thin? Are we running ourselves ragged? Are we getting ready to sacrifice the most important things that our kids need, spiritual things, because we think this little event, this little activity, this little baseball, this little whatever is what they really need? Number two, Joseph and Mary trusted God with what they had seen and heard. Now, now, let me touch on this briefly. Verse 33 They trusted God with what they had seen and heard. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. They were amazed. And now now this picks up with the character we see here named Simeon. Simeon. He was a righteous and devout man filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 says that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he sees the Messiah face to face. 
And so now, under the sovereign providence of God, we discover that Joseph and Mary enter the temple in Jerusalem at the same time Simeon does. And when Simeon sees Jesus, the Holy Spirit led him. He said, I know this is the Christ. This is he. This is the child. This is the baby. And what does the Bible say? He takes him up into his arms and begins to praise him. Look at it, verse 30. Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. That's Simeon. And then in verse 36 through 38, we read about Anna, the prophetess. Verse 38 says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She had seen Jesus. She's praying for Jesus. She's waiting for Jesus. So, so it is these things between Simeon and Anna that Joseph and Mary are seeing. They are, they are hearing these things. And it causes them in verse 33 to marvel at what was being said. And what was it exactly that was being said? That salvation is for all people. That this baby is not just going to be for the Jews. He's going to be a light to the Gentiles, a Messiah for everyone, a Messiah for us as well as Israel. And they marveled. They were amazed by it. Mary and Joseph hung on to every word that was said because what they're hearing here is Simeon and Anna confirm what was previously shared with them by Gabriel. You know, as we watch God work in the lives of our children as he fulfills his purpose and plan for them, we've we got to trust God with what we're seeing. We have to trust God with what we're hearing, that his plans for them is far greater than any plan that we could dream for them. So they're just moment by moment, moment by moment, trusting, trusting God, trusting God with what they have to raise him, trusting God with what they're seeing and hearing about him. And here's the last thing, and we are done. And number three, Joseph and Mary trusted God with what they did not know. Now, this may be more helpful to any of us than anything. Joseph and Mary trusted God with what they did not know. Go, go to verse 34. This is a continuation of Simeon's words. He's praising Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. He's saying, I can now die, right? I've seen the Messiah face to face. And now he turns to Mary. And notice what he says. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And a sword will piss, pierce through your own soul also. So what Simeon is prophesying about Jesus is that he would indeed do what? Divide people. He's going to divide people. He wanted Joseph and Mary to know that their son would not be universally loved. He wasn't universally loved then. He's not universally loved today. In fact, Simeon says this child will be spoken against by many people. This child will be rejected by many people. And then Simeon says, and Mary, he will pierce through your own soul also. In other words, Mary, you're going to experience pain and anguish beyond comprehension as a result of what your son will one day experience. And what is he going to one day experience? The trauma of the cross. One day she will watch her son publicly suffer 
and die. And that's Simeon's prophecy. He looks at mom and says, look, dark clouds are on the horizon for this child. And let me ask you, what's Joseph and Mary supposed to do with this? Well, the only thing they can do, trust God with what they don't know yet. What that's going to look like. How that's going to happen. How that's going to actually feel. There was so much ahead that they... They couldn't anticipate, really. So much to know, so much to learn. But moment by moment, trusting God along the way. There's so much about the future of my children that I do not know. (laughs) In fact, I know absolutely nothing about their future and what God has willed and purposed for them. None of us do. I look at them. I look at them amazed and in awe of what God has so graciously given to them. I watch Kate sing, and I watch her tenderheartedness toward others, and I think maybe to myself, one, one, one day she'll be something musical for the glory of God. I watch Keegan. He walked in the, rode in the church with me this morning with his sport coat on, his pen sticking right there, and his clock to keep up with the length of my sermon, and, and it just, I just look at him, and I don't know. I don't know. I, I asked him, I said, Keegan, you look, you look like you might be ready to preach a sermon. He's like, yeah, I didn't write one this week. Ellie, I ain't got the slightest idea. (laughs) You might see her on WWE in the future. (laughs) She wants to be a police officer so bad. Every time we go somewhere, we see a police car, a police officer, she says, you know, take my picture. Kathleen looked at me the other day. She said, you think this might be a possibility? She absolutely loves it. And then Jaden, I have no idea what the future is in store for my children. Will one of them go before me? Will one of them break mine and Kathleen's heart? Will they all serve and love God? I don't know. But what what I don't know, the only thing I can do is just moment by moment trust God's plan. And that's what Mary and Joseph is doing. Moment by moment, trusting God with what they don't know. What was it like to parent Jesus? Well, I'm sure, I'm sure there was some incredible, amazing moments. If there were vehicles, maybe, maybe Joseph had a bumper sticker on the back of his vehicle that says, my kid can walk on water, you know. I'm sure there were some incredible, amazing moments. But most days, church family, get this, most days, it was just ordinary, everyday obedience to God's Word. Just getting up, doing what we know we're supposed to do. And most days, it was moment by moment trusting God's plan. So perhaps as we close this morning, a prayer like this would be most helpful. Would you bow your heads with me?